As cliche as it sounds, one of the worship leaders today, I just feel led to talk about worship. <laughs> and uh, really, it's because I feel like in the last year or two, I've experienced my own worship reformation. Not that the things I knew beforehand were false or wrong, but he's reviving the things that are true and awakening me to the reality of what true worship is all about. Amen. It's not just happening to me. It's happening all across our worship community between worship and tech. There's probably like 50, 60 of us. And uh, God's been inviting us so much in this season that we've decided every single week to get together just simply to worship and pray with no one around, just our team. And we might open it up to the rest of the church soon, but we just felt, man, we just get alone with God as a family and as a community. And God's been meeting us and over and over the guys in our community are just sharing how they've been meeting God personally and experiencing their own personal revival. And God's just been teaching us about true worship just every day in the regular parts of our life. And it's just amazing. My wife and I were just talking uh, the other night about just how crazy it is with little kids. And how many of you have little kids? Awesome. I'm going to start a support group for all of us <laughs> this month. <laughs> Whew. You know, it's like, how can you be so mad at each other one moment, you and your wife? And so in love the next. It's like little kids, man. They make you like crazy. Um, but it's all fancy problems, right? Um, but our craziest time, other than trying to put them to bed and shutting the door at night, is the morning time from about 7 to 9 a.m. when we're trying to take them to school. Both me and my wife, we work, and it's just nuts. And, you know, you always think it's going to be the perfect morning and you anticipate all their emotions and all the things. And you have this amazing quiet time with the Lord where you know he's just going to have you heal everybody you talk to that day. And, but from seven to nine, it's insane. And so like, we're all getting in the minivan and we bought a minivan. Praise the Lord. It's awesome. And I didn't know how much we would love our minivan. We love it. It's like my favorite car. And I have like a fun big truck and I still like the minivan just as much or more. We're in the minivan, and William, my two-year-old, I don't know if we have a picture of him, he gets in the back, and yeah, there he is, you know. He stands just like my dad, like with his hands, like, <laughs> just, it's like, dude, you're Grand Jack. That's what my kids call him, Grand Jack. And um, we always like, just get in the back. You know, he's a third born. It's like, he's not allowed to have an opinion, you know. And it's like, sorry, dude, you don't get that luxury. And the girls are so loud, and Every single time we get in the van, he just starts yelling, shepherd, 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 until we finally all stop fighting. And we turn this song on from how many of you have seen Sight and Sound, David? It's insane, man. I feel like my personal revival started when I saw that. I was like, geez. But all of a sudden, and we have to turn it up all the way. All of a sudden, go ahead, Brent. We hear this. The Lord is my shepherd I shall not want anything but you for all my days your goodness and mercy follow me and I will dwell in your house so good. It's like the presence of God just whoom, fills our little cool minivan. It's like, we're good. We're good. The invitation to worship is always right there. Amen. So true worship. So God's been leading me over and over to John chapter four. Turn there with me this morning and we'll launch from this place. This is this amazing scene where Jesus encounters this woman at the well. John 4, verses 23 through 24 says this, but the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship 
in spirit and in truth. This scene is so amazing. Jesus, God in flesh, comes divinely to meet this woman who's an outcast of outcasts. Number one, she's a Samaritan. Number two, she's a woman. Number three, she is a social outcast. She's been married possibly five times to five different brothers of the same family. I was reading an account of this earlier this week. Maybe she was a 13, 14-year-old who was married to the oldest brother of this family, and she was barren. So when the oldest brother found out she was barren, she went to the next brother, was wed to him, then the next brother, then the next brother, all five of them. And then after she couldn't conceive from any of them, they kicked her out of the family. That's why she was probably living with somebody else, just trying to survive. Maybe she was a prostitute. Maybe she wasn't, but she was broken. And she was an outcast. And it's this person that Jesus comes to reveal the reality of who he is. And he says it in black and white, that he's the Messiah. He doesn't even tell Nicodemus in the chapter before this guy who knows everything there is to know about the law and the Messiah who's going to come, this political Messiah. And, but Jesus comes to this woman, and it's in this place where he comes to set her free and restore her that he decides to talk about what true worship is all about. I want to speak on that this morning a little bit, and I know I'm just scratching the surface, and, but it's powerful. Worship in spirit and in truth. Why did Jesus invite us to worship him in spirit and in truth. And why did he call that true worship? What is that? And how do we do that? First, let's talk about worshiping in spirit. Worshiping in spirit. To be a true worshiper, we must understand first that God is spirit. And what does that mean? God can be worshiped at any time and in any place. God's limitless, often invisible, but completely present and all-powerful, outside of time, but right in the middle of your circumstance and your situation, whether it's good or whether it's bad. Even if you don't see it, he's working. Amen. <laughs> you can't run from him. You can't hide from him. Some of us have tried that. He is the source of life, the same God who created the universe, the same spirit of God who hovered over the waters in Genesis chapter one comes to us personally, and he isn't bound by anything. He walks through walls. He walks through the walls of our hearts. It says if we seek him, we find him, but the reality is we don't find God. God finds us. And you can't summon him with an incantation, a magic wand. He doesn't come as a result of a set formula, a set of religious rules, or your favorite worship set list. Instead, he relentlessly pursues us with uncreated, perfect love. No matter the situation, no matter the sin, no matter the shame, no matter what your past looks like, no matter what your present looks like, God comes to make worshipers out of rebels. Comes to make worshipers out of the broken, worshipers out of the ones who can't figure it all out, worshipers of the ones who gave up. About a year ago, a dear friend of mine said this. He said, every saint has a past, David, and every sinner has a future. His spirit, God's spirit, comes to awaken us out of our sleep to the reality of who he is. And when we believe who he is, he makes those who are dead come alive. Amen? True worship demands this spiritual awakening, demands that we come alive to a God who is spirit. How do we know this? Go to John 3, verse 3. This is the conversation he's having with Nicodemus, who knows everything there is to know about everything. Jesus answered him and said, I assure you and most solemnly say to you, unless a person is born again, 
reborn from above, spiritually transformed, renewed, sanctified, he cannot see and experience the kingdom of God. Two verses later in the message, Jesus says this. Jesus said, you're not listening. Let me say it again. Unless a person submits to this original creation, the wind hovering over the water creation, the invisible moving into the visible, a baptism into a new life, it's not possible to enter God's kingdom, but the person who takes shape within is now formed by something you can't see and you can't touch. The spirit, big S, God who is spirit. And therefore that person then becomes a living spirit. C.S. Lewis said, Jesus didn't come to make bad people good or good people better. He came to make those who are dead live. Amen. It's Romans 8. Romans 8.11 says, but if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who now dwells in you. Second reason true worship is defined by worshiping God in spirit is because we are now born of spirit. And when someone is reborn of the spirit, a new breathing, living person arrives on the scene with a new spirit. And in that spirit exists an inborn, innate desire to respond, to worship the one who gave us life, loved us first, and called us by our name, our eternal father. It's in your very spiritual DNA to worship. You have to worship. Isn't that amazing? Same chapter of Romans, different verse. Verse 15 says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons who cry out, Abba, Father. I love the message version of this. It says, This resurrection life you've received from God is not a timid, grave-tending life. It's adventurously expecting greeting God with a childlike, what's next, Papa? What's next, God? What's next, Father? God's spirit touches our spirit and confirms who we really are. We know who he is, and we now know who we are, father and children. Our whole spiritual being immediately recognizes its kinship to God and wants to respond. That's why sometimes when you walk into this place and you hear worship, and you encounter the Spirit of God, your spirit leaps and has to participate. Does that make sense? A very mild example of this, before I do that one, um, when my son was born, we had him at home, which that was my wife's idea. I wasn't cool with it at first. I was like, we are not doing this. <laughs> I didn't want to clean up the mess. I have like serious OCD. Just thinking of that massive pool in my living room, I was like, oh my gosh, what are we going to do? Anyways, too much information. Um, but I remember when he was born, Lynn Oakley. Lynn, are you here? Wave at me if you're here. Lynn's amazing. She's a, a midwife, and she's helped so many families here. But um, she picked him up out of the water, and he hadn't taken his first breath yet. And again, we're at home, and I'm like freaking out inside, like, come on, William, you know. And she said, just say his name. And John and I said, William, William. And I remember poof, he opens his eyes and just takes his first breath and looks for the one who was calling his name. It's insane. It's the same thing that happens in our spirit. Now he's two years old. And uh, uh, the days I go to work after his afternoon nap, he knows I'm coming home around that time. So he wakes up. And the first thing he says is, Dada, Dada. And he runs down to the front door and he just stands there like this and just waits. And he's like two years old. He doesn't get distracted by his sisters or go play or anything like that. He just waits like this. And the other, the other day, he waited over an hour for me to get home. He's just waiting like, like a golden retriever. Just like... <laughs> 
And he just the whole time, dad, dad, daddy, daddy. And just waiting. He's even written some songs just with my name. It's amazing. Like over Christmas, he saw Home Alone for the first time. I don't know if it's the right thing to have a one-year-old be coming to watch all the Home Alones, but there's awesome. So he's just like, Daddy, 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 just to the Home Alone theme song. It's amazing. And when that truck pulls up and I get out, he loses his mind. Like, he gets so overwhelmed with emotion. We have it on video. He, sometimes he just falls down and is just crying. Which I feel like, man, when renewal hits, people just wept and wept and wept. Because the Father's love, man. As he comes out gets in the truck, and he's like, where are we going? Dunkin' Donuts? Hershey Park? Park? Car wash? Donut? Donut? Just, what's next, Dad? Where are we going? It's amazing. Come on. Our spirit, our new spirit, carries within it a deep, innate desire to worship the one who gave us life and loved us first, the one our hearts desire the most. That's why worship it's not a genre. Can't be bought. Can't be fabricated. It's simply a deep spiritual desire to respond to the one we desire the most. Amen. That's why certain songs, man, they just never get old. Come on. You have your favorite old song that just never gets old. It's the best. And I'll bring you more than a song For a song in itself Is not what you have required You search You search much deeper within Through the way things appear You're looking into my heart Just sing this I'm coming back to the heart of worship Where it's all about you It's all about you, Jesus I'm sorry, Lord, for the Where it's all about you It's all about Thank you, God, for your presence. Another reason we must worship him in spirit is that the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. The spirit of truth alone has the ability to reveal the reality of who Jesus really is, the way, the truth, and the life. It's found in John 14. If you go to John 14, 16 through 17, Jesus says this, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Come on, say forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. Two chapters later, verses 13 through 15 Jesus says, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. Come on, look at someone and say, all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, Jesus, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the father has is mine. Therefore, I say, he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Simply put, when the Holy Spirit speaks, Jesus is speaking and he's revealing the heart of the Father. When the Holy Spirit walks into the room, Jesus walks into the room. And through encounter, encountering the presence of God, we can come to know the reality, the truth of who Jesus is and his love for us. My wife has this incredible dance studio that she's um, 
been running for about 15, 16 years, something like that now. And a couple years ago, we were thinking about, I mean, we had just gotten through COVID and God was so faithful, but we, I mean, our whole life on one level was just kind of imploding. And we just thought, hey, maybe we should just close the doors and move on and do something new. And so we both prayed about it. And God told both of us, no, man, let's keep these doors open. Not done with this story yet. So I remember when we decided to, hey, let's keep doing this and we're just going to move forward. I remember her saying, if we keep doing this, I just, I don't want to filter this thing anymore. Let's make this thing all about Jesus and the presence of God. So many teenage girls who are carrying stuff that should, they should never be carrying. This has to be a place of hope. This has to be a place of refuge. This has to be a place of freedom for them. And so my wife has been um, having these small group meetings where the parents are coming in and they're thinking they're coming in to just like have like an orientation. But Johanna just starts talking about the love of God. And one of the parents, she's this broken woman, comes in for the first time. She just enrolled her daughter she just starts to share. And she said, I grew up severely abused. Therefore, I've always thought that God hates me. And if there's a God, I don't want to have anything to do with him. But I walked in here today and I think he loves me. She just breaks right there and just starts to weep. It just keeps happening week after week. She's been holding these freedom events where we'll come in and We'll do worship, and Serena, I don't know if she's here today, but Serena came two weeks ago and led worship with me. Lauren Leach shared a message, and Hannah McCumber was there, and Annalise, are you here? Annalise spoke, and it was just amazing. And Johanna got this picture from the Lord. These kids are unchurched. They're definitely not charismatic, okay? And my wife got this picture of all the teachers who are believers washing their feet. And it was out of the box. And man, it took a risk. It could have been like the weirdest thing ever. But these kids come in and they all take a seat. And Johanna just comes and says, you know, Jesus, he came to serve. And on the night he was betrayed, he wanted to be with his friends and serve them. And he washed their feet. I just want you to know we're here to serve you. and We love you. And all the teachers began to wash these teenage girls' feet. And each one of them just began to weep and cry and encounter the presence of the Lord and the reality, the truth of how much God loved them. It was so powerful that my daughter, Harper, her group of girls came in, five to nine-year-olds, and they sat down. The girls who just got their feet washed and encountered the love of God washed their feet. Dude, I had to, like, excuse myself. I was just weeping and crying. It was just so powerful. God's spirit isn't bound by anything. He wants to be known. He wants to be known. And he's known through encounter. That's how we come to know the truth. In order to worship God, we must simply know who he is. Because eventually the extent of our worship depends upon the extent to which we know him. God can only be worshiped for who he is. He can't be worshiped for who he's not. Amen. Hosea 6, 6. It's an amazing scripture on worship. It said, says, for I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. God wants us to know him. That's why he comes and visits with us. What's so powerful about knowing God, the truth of who he is, this reality of his love for us, simply put, it's the truth that sets us free. His word says, if you know the truth, the truth will set you free. He says, actually, if you back up a little bit, you will know the truth if you obey my commands, which is the greatest form of worship because you have to do something that isn't your own idea. Gets you out of yourself. Luke 4, verses 18 says this, the spirit of the Lord is upon me, the Messiah, because he has anointed me to preach the good news, the truth to the poor. He has sent me to announce release, pardon, freedom to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, 
to set free those who are oppressed, downtrodden, bruised, and crushed by tragedy. Some of us here today to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. I mentioned before that many of us in the worship community, many of us in the church, I'm not saying it's just the worship community, but it's the people I'm the most involved in on a day-to-day basis. We've been experiencing true personal revival through so many different things, but really the Spirit of God. But it's also been in the midst of great tragedy and oppression. And a couple of the guys on the team, their parents passed away. We were with Rusty Fuller down with Martin Smith last week in D.C. And he was playing and worshiping his heart out on the drums. And during that time, his mom passed away. Suddenly, at the end of last year, Sam's dad passed away. Totally unexpected. But it's the tension, right, that even when we're experiencing personal revival, we go through real life. We go through trial and tribulation. But the truth is still the truth. Amen? He's come to set us free. And he wants to use us. So we have a personal testimony from one of my closest friends. There he is. Hey, buddy. Brent Ulrich, who is at the helm of the worship community here just as much as any of us. And usually see him behind the sound desk week after week. But really, he's a pastor. Just want him to come up and share a bit of his testimony, what's been going on in his life for the last couple months. And come on, can we give it up for Brent as he comes? Bless you, man. Thanks, Dave. Key change. So I just want to give you a, a brief testimony. <laughs> I just I distracted you guys, I'm sorry. And how it ties to our community. So in order to do that, I have to go back to the seed. And the seed for me was, the de- was a desire for growth. And how that looked like physically was in the evenings, turning off the TV. Um, but how many of you guys have kids? <laughs> and how many of you are exhausted after you get two kids to bed and it's nine o'clock and you just want to like watch somebody renovate a house on HGTV? Me. But there was a desire that I wanted, I needed to grow and you have to make decisions. You have to make, put action to these things. So It was turning off the TV and reading. And again, I'm not a reader, so this was a discipline for sure. Um, So I started reading books by Finney, John G. Lake, William Seymour. And what started as a discipline very quickly turned into a hunger because you can't read about revival lists without feeling a hunger inside of you. You can't hear about the work of God and not have a burning inside of you. So that hunger led me into a season of confession and repentance because you want to clean the slate, right? So Katie and I went through this process. It was incredibly powerful. And this is where I started to see the ties to our community. We were at our small group and Joe said, I just believe there's going to be an outpouring through confession. Okay, that sounds like kind of what I'm experiencing. Interesting. And then a couple weeks later, Nathan says the same thing from the stage before he starts a song. Uh, he says, I believe there's going to be an outpouring through confession. But then he actually walks the walk and he starts confessing from the stage. He says, no more hiding. I'm coming out of a season of apathy, praying for an undivided heart. It's like, wow, okay, noted. Lord's doing something here. And the very act of confession postures our soul to a place of humility and recognition that, that you're broken, that you need brokenness. For me, it was realizing my unbroken self, right? Self-preservation, self-promotion, self-reliance. And I, I allowed those things to be broken and gotten to a place of surrender. And what happens? I come to church. Amanda Cook has a two-hour speaking section during the conference on brokenness. Okay, I'm paying attention, Lord. Uh, and none of this was through imitation. This was all through individual personal journeys that were kind of happening in unison. So I'm praying in my quiet time, kind of just waiting on the Lord, asking for encounter, just for this Holy Spirit to come. 
and I feel like he tells me, get on your knees and pray. So I get on my knees, I kneel down, and the Holy Spirit just like comes in a new, a new way, a new encounter, a new expression of his presence. Extremely powerful. Just a room filled with gratitude, a tangible presence. And I come to Life Center, and Martin Smith is here leading worship. And he just, you know how he just like stops playing sometimes and just lets the silence happen? In the middle of the silence, he goes, man, I just feel like the Lord is telling me that we're supposed to bow a knee. Okay, I'm three for three now with what I'm seeing at Life Center and what's happening in my personal life. So I'm, I'm in tune, right? What are you saying, Lord? And what I think he was showing me was this trend of personal revival within our community. For me, it was a recognition for a need to change, the discipline to actually take action and do something about it. And that developed the hunger, which then pointed me towards confession and repentance. Uh, and that brought awareness to brokenness, which led me to surrender, which sets you up for encounter. The, that's not that important. I'm not trying to give you a formula. I'm trying to give you a testimony. So all, all of the same time that this is happening, Asbury is breaking out. There's a person, there's a, this public representation of revival, right? The same time that I'm experiencing personal revival. So the, that's all kind of part one. Part two is March hits and we enter a season of opposition out of personal revival into opposition, spiritual warfare. And for most of March and April, we had non, our family has had nonstop attacks from the enemy. Um, we were probably at the hospital a dozen times. During one of these visits, Katie, we found out Katie was pregnant and we celebrated, we climbed a mountain. Uh, later that day, because of severe p nerve pain, we went back to the hospital and they found out it was an ectopic pregnancy, which means a 0% chance of survival. So there's been several surgeries since then. During this time, our bank account was also compromised. Our refrigerator died. Our kids were pretty much nonstop sick for two months. We had a family member put on life support. But here's the good news. Truth doesn't waver based on my situation. The truth is still the truth. And there is this kind of paradox of experiencing something painful or difficult, but also understanding the greater reality that you're in the middle of an opportunity, the opportunity to count it all joy, to praise the Lord and rejoice. What kind of a, a, what kind of a test is it to count it all joy if everything's great? It's not really a test, is it? When we praise, we align ourselves with heavenly truth instead of our circumstance our circumstance. And in the same way that I felt this wave of personal revival within our community, I also felt this wave of hardship in our community that followed it. I know so many families at Life Center that are going through the similar thing, whether it's Dave and Joe, Mike and Liz, Rusty and Sam, Dave was talking about them. All in a season of hardship, and it's probably not a coincidence that right after personal revival, the enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy but that's a foolish enemy attacking us when we were strongest and most effective. That would be fine if that was the end of the story, if it ended there, a season of praising the Lord when it cost us the most, because that is holy, but that's not the full picture. During this season of hardship, what is the Lord doing at Life Center? We're in a season of faith and healing, guys. I think it started with Brian Leach giving his testimony of how he's not supposed to be alive. He's not supposed to be here. And then Sue Roby talking about how she's victorious over cancer. And then Resurrection Sunday hits. And then the anniversary of Tiff being raised from the dead. Come on. And then healings breaking out in the, Nap in the Nepali community and this wave of, of uh, salvation. So maybe there's a connection between a righteous response to opposition that attracts the miraculous. Ask Charles, I don't know. <laughs> so even though you may feel like you're drowning, being attacked, experiencing tragedy, count it all joy, but then lean into God because he is releasing his spirit in this season. He's pouring out the gift of faith and releasing healings in this house.
Come on. It's awesome. I think next week we're going to sing this song, but we've been singing this song. I've witnessed it. You know, I didn't discover that song. Somebody sent me that song on a day I really needed to hear it and to sing it for myself. And the person who sent it to me was Chris Redinger, <laughs> Chris and Dee Dee, who've just lost their 20, 21 year old son. It reminds me so much of myself, but man, they're still believing and trusting that the truth is still the truth. I love that Brent said that. Come on. And it's the truth, the reality of who he is in our midst, this kingdom that has come and still yet to come that sets us free. Amen. Amen. And where does the Lord, where does his spirit want to come and set us free? In the deepest places of our heart where we hold this tension and we wrestle with it. The deepest places where there's hopelessness and hope, where there's fear, where there's faith, where we're praising before the breakthrough. The places he wants to set us free from addiction, the places he simply wants to set us free of ourselves. Amen. Our innermost being from the inside out. If we go back to John chapter 4, verses 28 to 30, this woman at the well who encounters Jesus, she walks away and she leaves her jar there and walks away because now her, her thirst has been quenched. She went to the well that never runs dry, Jesus. She walks away and says, come see a man who knew all about the things I did, who knows me from the inside out. Do you think this could be the Messiah? To a Samaritan, the word Messiah most importantly meant restore. Could this be the one who comes to restore me from the inside out? Amazing. David in Psalm 51, verse 6, it says, Behold, God, you desire truth in my innermost being. The message says, What you're after is truth from the inside out. Where do we see this term again in the New Testament? Ephesians 3, verses 16 through 19. This is so powerful. It says this, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints, what is the breadth, length, height, depth, and to know, to know, to know the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Let's stand together. Thank you, God. I believe God wants to make worshipers out of us this morning in a deeper, truer way. I believe God wants to make worshipers out of the oppressed, the downtrodden, the bruised, the broken, even those who have been crushed by tragedy. Maybe you're in a situation today simply because life is happening on life's terms. There's been a series of events that have taken place that you have no control over. Maybe they're completely unfair. Maybe it's physical healing. Maybe it's emotional healing. Maybe you just feel lost. Maybe the situation you're in is of your own making. That's okay. That was me. Completely of my own making. But I still believe that God wants to make worshipers out of us by encountering him, the truth and the reality of his love for us and setting us free and restoring us from the inside out, the deepest places, whether you've walked with the Lord for decades or whether this is your first time here ever, you're not here by accident this morning. This is a divine appointment. There's an opportunity here to worship God on this side of heaven, like Prince said, amen. Verse 20, the next verse, 
It says this, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than we can ask, think, or imagine, according to the power at work within us. To him be the glory in the church. And in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. C.S. Lewis also writes that the demons see the church spread out through all time and space and rooted in eternity, terrible as an army with banners, a spectacle which makes Satan and the boldest of demons uneasy. Come on. Why is this powerful? On the other side of your freedom are hundreds more, maybe thousands more. God doesn't see an army of dry, dead bones. God sees an army of those who were once dead, now alive. God sees an army of worshipers. Amen? Come on. Come on. So I really feel led. I woke up at four this morning and just texted Tiff. I was like, would you please sing this? So we're going to sing a song here. But as we sing it, if you want to come and be set free, with the truth, the reality of who Jesus is and his love for you right in the middle of your circumstance and your situation. If you feel dead this morning, there's parts of you that feel dead this morning. If you feel lost, I believe God wants to come and set you free with a fresh encounter of his spirit right where you are and take what has been hard and turn it into a reason to worship. Amen. Amen. Come on. He makes worshipers out of rebels. He makes worshipers out of the broken. He makes worshipers out of the dead. He makes worshipers out of those who are lost. And revival begins with personal freedom, personal revival. It's not complicated. It all comes from him, the spirit of God. So if that's you this morning, just begin to come forward. If you want to be set free, more free than you've ever been set free, just begin to come. Just begin to come. Come on. If you're out up in the balcony, it's okay. We'll make space. Come on down. Just come. Come on. If that's you this morning and you feel God stirring in your heart, just come. That's him. It's the Holy Spirit. That's his invitation. And if you have to go get your kids, which I'm one of them, <laughs> as we sing, you can go get them and you can bring them back in if you want. We're just going to worship. If you need to go this morning, you can go. There's regular things we have to do. God makes worship of all the things we have to do in our normal life. If you got to go get your kids, that's all right. That's worship. Amen. But we're going to take some time here to worship. Ministry team can come forward. We're just going to pray that God pours his spirit out on each one of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, Life Center. Can we lift up a shout in this place? Amen.
God of love. 
lift up another shout, church. Thank you, Lord. As we close this morning, I just want to declare this over you out of Ezekiel 37. It says, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. But God says this, behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves. And I will bring you into the promised land of Israel. And you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from your graves. I am the Lord and I have spoken it and I will do it. I'm going to close with this. I will set my sanctuary in their midst. My dwelling place shall be with them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord who sanctifies and my sanctuary is in your midst forever. We just lift our hands. Father, we thank you that this is a place. This is a house that you've called. This is a house of prayer. This is a house of worship. This is a place that you come to encounter us over and over again. It's a place we come to worship you. Put your hands over your heart. Father, make each of us your sanctuary in the deepest parts of our hearts. We will come to know the reality and the truth of who you are. And may that be the truth that forever fuels our worship from one generation to the next, to the next, to the next. God, we thank you. There's no end to your plans and the kingdom and the reality of your will. Teach us what it is to worship you with all our hearts, all our minds, all our soul, with all our strength. In Jesus' name, can we shout amen one more time? Amen. Amen. Amen.